life and liberty. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. Before I get started, even if you're one of our guests or you didn't bring food with you, I ask you to stay. This is my personal invite to you to come hang out with me and Jesus as I cook hamburgers on the grill. I'll try not to make burnt offerings out of them. Relax, enjoy fellowship, come inside, enjoy the great air conditioning the good Lord has provided. And if you need more dessert, I'll sacrifice and run a Dollar General and buy some more ice cream. All right? So I want everybody to feel welcome and safe for that. I'm looking forward to a great time with all of you. And if you have any questions, want to get to know me, come hang out with me. This is your, this is your invite. All right? Now, as a way of introduction... On July the 4th of 1776, our founding fathers drafted the Declaration of Independence. I believe it's the second paragraph that says this, quote, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that secure these rights, Governments are instituted among men, deriving their powers from the consent of the governed. End of quote. There's a lot there that, let me just put it this way, the pulpit is for the preaching of God's word, it's not for politics. If you want to know more about that paragraph, that's something we can talk about as we have lunch. But moving forward, how would you define the phrase, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? How would you define freedom? Does money equal freedom? Is freedom about politics? Is freedom about religion? Our own personal desires? As a society, we desire to live a free life with no boundaries. In fact, back in 1965, the Rolling Stones had a song entitled, I'm Free. Listen to the lyrics of verse 1. Quote, I am free to do what I want any old time, end of quote. And that song really sums up the anthem of many generations. That people want to live free, to live their lives as they desire. Now many people see freedom being tied to truth-telling and knowledge. B.B. Rex's song, You Can't Stop the Girl, from the 2019 movie, Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, says this, quote, You can't stop the world from knowing the truth will set you free. Now, this may suggest, in a small way, that a teaching of Jesus has grown beyond the biblical text. However, is that what Jesus exactly meant when he said, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you or set you free, there in verse 32. Let's take a look at that verse in context. Let's go back to verse 31. It tells us, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him. Now, Jesus wasn't really convinced of their belief as of yet, And we find that back in John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. John 2, starting in verse 23, says this. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. 
But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men, and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus, having that knowledge, tells me, or explains to me why Jesus then opens up with a conditional statement. Look back in verse 31. The word if. That's a conditional statement. If you continue in my word, if you abide in my word, if you hold to my word, if you remain faithful to my word or to my teaching, then you are truly disciples of mine. A believer who is committed to abide in Jesus and his word is an authentic, faithful, genuine disciple of Christ. And then we have verse 32. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free or set you free. Now that phrase all by itself can be seen on many of the seals of colleges and universities around our country. Now, significance in that case is that this phrase, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free, is understood to mean that academic learning is the key to liberty. However, that's hardly the meaning that we find in context. The meaning here involves knowing Jesus as truth. Look back to verse 31. You just can't pull that verse out of context and quote it. you got to look at how Jesus puts it together. Now this verse in and by itself is neither advocating nor discouraging academics. There's nothing wrong with learning. Education. Oh, I could go on a rabbit on that one, but I'm going to hold myself to it. Moreover, it's not a statement advocating attachment to mere information or doctrine or teaching about Jesus. It's about having a living relationship with the Son of God, the truth. He is the one who gives freedom to human beings. So if you want to be truly free, it starts, begins, and always in who Jesus is. It's about knowing him. Now to drive that point home... There's a picture coming on the screen of the St. Louis Arch. There it is. You see how beautiful it is? I had seen it on uh, Monday Night Football when ABC had it. You know, they had the game at St. Louis. They would show the arch. And years and years ago, when my kids were real little, we drove to my mom and stepfather's house, to which the children said, we can't drive there. We can only fly there. No, we can drive there too. You guys are just spoiled because we both work for an airline. So on the way home, instead of going south on 81, we decided to go across the Cumberland Gap, down through Kentucky, which is a very beautiful state, by the way. I had to get that in there. And we came by and saw the St. Louis Arch. And we had plenty of time. We're taking our time and say, hey, you want to see the St. Louis Arch? Well, why not? Who knows? We'll, back, we'll come back this way. So we went and we parked. Now, the picture doesn't show it, but where the arch comes down, there's a whole underground complex. There's a theater, places to eat. There's a visitor center, tells you about how the arch was built. And believe it or not, you can go to the top. Now, this is where it gets a little interesting. Ask my wife about this. I know the reason to stay and have lunch with us. You can ask her about this story. There's, I wish I got a picture of it. There's a car you get into. It's probably no higher than that. 
and it's itty bitty, so you get in these like these little picnic tables, right? You're sitting there facing each other, and you start going up. But since it's a curved, it goes up and then scoots over, goes up and scoots over, so you're never, you know, leaning down. It always keeps itself level. My wife didn't like that too much. And we get up there to the top, and it's probably as wide from this corner of the platform, about that corner at the very top, very narrow. And you have windows you can look out. And what's really different about it is when you look out, there's nothing underneath you. There's an arch. Hey, how are we staying up here? And then I did something I shouldn't have done. I looked at my wife, started doing this. Oh, it's moving. She goes, I'm ready to get out of here. Let's go. But my point being, I can tell you all about the arch, how big it is, how you look at it in real, per, in real life, you go, wow, it's just huge. I didn't know about it. It wasn't until I went there and experienced it for myself that I truly understood and appreciated the arch. And the same, true, same thing is true about Christ. And you can know every fact, you can, you can quote every Bible verse about Christ, but until you have them in your heart and your life, you do not know what you're missing. You have to experience him for yourself. It can't be your mama's faith, your daddy's faith, your cousin's faith. Your it has to be your faith. Don't take my word for it. Come and taste and see if the Lord is not good. What he can only do. Only he can do that and set you free. Well, in verse 33, we find the response. Look what they say. We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. Uh, they're irritated perhaps even angry, that he's implying to them that they're in bondage. And their reaction is immediate. They make an assertion and a denial. The first is an assertion that they are descendants of Abraham. Now, on the surface, this statement seems to be correct, at least biologically. But then they denied that they had ever been slaves of anyone. Have they forgotten history? Have they forgotten the feasts that they observed? They have been slaves of most of the great powers around that same time. Going back in history, it began with Egypt, then Assyria, then Babylonia, then Media Persia, then Macedonia, then Egypt again in Syria, then finally Rome. They have been slaves, and yet they're talking about they're not slaves and had never been slaves or in bondage to anyone. Now, the interesting thing is you look at chapter 8, this biblical hermeneutics 101. When you're reading a chapter of a particular book and you're trying to really dig down in there into the meat, look at the chapters around that, look at the verses around it, and look at the book as a whole. It helps give us context. In chapter 7, verse 1, they had celebrated the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of the Tabernacles was a time commemorating when God took care of them in the desert. They rebelled. They didn't want to go over. They said, the people are giants. We won't take them. And since they didn't believe God that that land was there, it's a promised land, they had a wandering wilderness for 40 years. But God didn't leave them out there by themselves. He took care of them. And that's what the Feast of the Tabernacles celebrates. And you'll understand this more in a minute, but I want to let you know that that connection to the feast is seldom made because I believe us contemporary preachers and our concern for local freedom 
failed to see that contextual framework because if they realized the Feast of the Tabernacles, realize they need God and they realize they're sinners, and then Jesus drops a bomb here in a minute. Because once again in verse 33, how is it that you say you will become or be made free? That never been in bondage, that's not a political statement or a political evaluation of their history. Rather, it's a religious statement rooted in their conviction that they were spiritual children of God and they were descendants of Abraham. In contrast to the zealots of the time, the Pharisees did not regard political freedom as a test of freedom, political liberty that is. Being sons of God, a holy people, God's possession was the test for political liberty. Deuteronomy chapter 14. You are the sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves nor shave your forehead for the sake of the dead. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Being circumcised, according to rabbinic teaching and viewpoint, was a guaranteed guaranteeing them to escape the bonds of Gehenna. And that's the Greek word for hell, not Sheol, but hell, the place of punishment. Just as the people of Israel had really escaped the bondages of Egypt. So they're making the statement, let's just follow this up, that they're descendants of Abraham. They're God's holy people. We're free. Don't you know who we are? We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been enslaved to anyone. We're going to escape everlasting condemnation from God because of who we are. But look at verse 34. Truly, truly, that's a, or some translations will say, amen, amen. That's a way of grabbing your attention. I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Jesus is confronting them at the very points in which they felt the most secure. His, he was directing it at both their aspects of their defense, their religious perspective on slavery, and their reliance on being descendants of Abraham. He is seeking against their confidence of escaping the bonds of Gehenna, or hell, and he calls in the question, the fundamental Rabbinic concept of freedom. Jesus judged that they were slaves because they were sinners. Period. Being Jews and not Gentiles was no guarantee that they could avoid condemnation from God for their sinfulness. But that's what they're claiming to do. Just a few days before all this happens, they had celebrated Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. One day of the year, when the priest would confess the sins of the people, and he would go on the Holy of Holies, God's presence, and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat for the forgiveness of the people. So they had to know they were sinful. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Just bear with me. We are Americans. We live in the United States of America, and we talk about being free. But spiritually, and more importantly, 
I'm a slave because I'm a sinner. And because I'm a sinner, I'm a slave to sin. Just because I'm free in this country as a citizen does not necessarily mean I'm free. Being sinful slaves before God, they're in need of a redeemer. One who can set them free. And the son was personally sent by the father is indeed capable of supplying them with such genuine freedom because he was the Lamb of God. And they're rejecting the very one who was sent by the Father to purchase their freedom. This reminds me of a song that came out some years ago, back in uh, 2001, wow, 22 years ago, by a group called For Him. And the title of it is City of Refuge. I'm not going to sing it, but I want you to listen to the words very carefully. All right? It says, quote, in the land of the free, so many are living in chains. All around us is fear. We push and we pull in our longings for love here in the home of the brave. But in the real world right now, you're weary, you're weak from the fight. Hope is calling out loud. Your freedom is raining right into the light, leaving darkness behind. Dearly beloved, we have our fellow citizens who exercise this freedom to do what they want every day, but they're still living in chains because they haven't been set free by the Son. And as the text tells us, when you are set free from the Son, you are free indeed. He goes on in verse 35, Jesus speaking. The slave does not remain or abide in the house forever, or the household forever. Or the New Living Translation puts it, has no permanent place in the family. The son does remain or abide forever. Their concept of inheritance was also in jeopardy. Because they were slaves, they weren't actually sons or children who inherit or who remain in the house of the master. Can you just see how he's destroying all their confidence in who they are? You're Abraham's descendants, but that's not going to stop you. You're not really part of the family. You're a slave to sin. You need someone who's going to set you free, and the only person who can set you free is the one sent by the Father, who's Jesus the Son. And he says in verse 37, he acknowledges that they have been Abraham's descendants. Look what he says. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me. Why is that? Because my word has no place in you or is not welcome among you. Their desire to kill him indicated they had another father. And this is where the final punch comes from. He tells them, I do all the things which I've seen and heard my father say and do. But look what it says in verse 38. You also do the things which you have heard from your father. You know what the implication here is? You're not children of God. You're children of Satan. Can you imagine how that would have stung to them when they heard that? But myself as an American, I, I proud myself on the land of the home of the free and the brave. And yet the reality is, so many of us, perhaps even some in this room, you're still a slave to sin because, yes, you know about Jesus, you've heard about Jesus, 
but you've never experienced Jesus in your own personal life. If you want true freedom, come to Christ. They may have been children of Abraham, but Jesus says they are not because they're not acting like Abraham. You see that in verses 39 through 40. So what does that phrase mean that we see in verse 32? That you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, the Greek word there that's translated truth is lathia. And it means what is true in any matter under consideration. This is true no matter what situation or circumstance you may find. This is truth. That's what that word means. Jesus uses that in John 14, 6, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is saying that the reality of knowing the real God only comes through him. Now, the Greek word in verse 32 of our text is aletheo. It means to set free from bondage or from another's control. So in verse 31, Jesus relating himself to truth and freedom. Therefore, the truth that comes from abiding in Jesus, and only that truth can set you free. The truth and freedom that Jesus speaks about is not about people, not about people being true to themselves and then having some ambiguous feeling of personal freedom. The truth, the truth is the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done. That's the truth. That's the plain and simple truth. Freedom is found solely in Jesus. That is the context of freedom. I want to clarify again, I love my country, I serve my country. But my first alliance is to Jesus and to God. Because he has set me free. And only he can set me free from being a slave to sin. Notice that Jesus says everyone who commits sin, not just certain people, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Let me go back to that that song again and listen to the words once again. Does this describe you in the land of the free? Think about this. So many are living in chains. All around us is fear. And we push and we pull in our longings for love here in the home of the brave. But you, you're in the real world now and you're weary and you're weak from the fight. Hope is calling out loud. Your freedom is waiting. Run into the light, leaving the darkness behind. We will soon celebrate July the 4th the day our country declared independence from the British. And America is no different than any other country. We have our dark times in history. We have our highlights. But here's the issue before us today. Do you have freedom in Christ? Do you know Christ? Because Christ says, you can talk about being a Christian. You can talk about being a disciple. You can talk about all these things. But only if you abide and you continue to abide, if you continue to hold, if you continue to grow, then you are truly disciples of mine. 
Attending church. Church is not this building. Church is, is all of you. Those who are called out the ecclesia in the Greek. You're, you don't go to the church. You are the church. This is where the church meets, where the church gathers, where the church prays, where the, where the church prays the songs to him, where the church weeps together and cries together and laughs together. But you can do all those things and yet still not know him. And I'm going to conclude with the words of Jesus. He's telling disciples about the end of the times, what's going to happen. And he says, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things? Cast out demons, do miracles in your name. Jesus never denies that they did those things and did them in his name. Yes, they did many wonderful things in his name. But what he cuts to is that, however, you never knew me or I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. That scares me, humbles me, sobers my thinking to know that I can do this Sunday after Sunday after Sunday if I'm not careful. Am I just preaching to hear myself or do I really know who I am talking about on a personal level. If you want to know more about my personal walk, my successes, my failures, I invite you to stay. I'll talk to you about my walk with Christ. I'm not a superman. I didn't get it all right. I mess up on a continual basis. But I know one who will never turn from you we will never leave you. Amen. We will never make fun of you. Amen. But we'll be right beside your side in all the muck and the mire to pull you out. And his name is Jesus. Do you know him? Now is the time. Is he leading you to join this local body? Now is the time. If he's leading you to pray with your brother or sister, now is the time. Do not wait. Take care of it here and now before it's everlasting too late. Heavenly Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and your mercy and forgiveness. Jesus, I, I praise you for what you have done for me in my life. You have set me free and I'm free indeed. You have set me free from condemnation and the wrath of your father all because you took my place on that cross so many years ago on that hill and as those nails went into your hands in the dark and the, uh, the sky grew dark <laughs> Jesus you had on your, on your mind on your heart the redemption of the world Thank you does not seem like a big enough thing to say to you, but we are thankful. My heart's full of gratitude. And I ask that you can, your spirit will continue to move in this place, that you would give us courage, and wisdom, and boldness to answer the call you put on all our lives. 
May your will be done. We are your willing servants. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.